church and other drugs. My name is Jed. I'm by myself. Um, sorry for the super late show this week. It turns out you can still get the flu in May. I guess it was late April. Now it is May. Um, went on vacation to Welcome to Rockville. Saw Ozzy Osbourne um, and a bunch of like butt rock bands like Breaking Benjamin for my friend's birthday. And then... Um, uh, uh, then I got the flu. I felt sick on the way home and I went to the doctor and he was like, well, you got the flu. So, uh, I've been dealing with that, but the show must go on. So enjoy this, uh, interview with our new best friend, Amy Dresner. She wrote the book, My Fair Junkie. Uh, she writes for The Fix, stand-up comedian, all-around awesome girl. And I just want to also remind y'all, please, um, the best way we get new listeners is word of mouth so please you know go leave us a review like our facebook page um share with our friends share with your friends um send up a prayer that i don't die a horrible feverish death and uh enjoy the interview like you know when we're talking insurance speak we have of to of course of course well it sounds very like you know a medical condition that insurance will cover except that you know we don't i don't know what you guys do in rehab but i was in group a lot and talking and you know painting birdhouses and you know i mean it wasn't very <laughs> medical it wasn't very medical at all you know what uh, i mean we, like, we literally Got them to paint birdhouses about a month ago. I'm not, Are you serious? I'm, I'm dead serious about Ser- that. Yeah, right? So I it's painted like, my it's own. A- it was very pretty. You know, we did yoga, like whatever. It wasn't that medical. I mean, I think that that I, – I understand it for insurance purposes and stuff like that. But in terms of, so you what, know – What would you rather call it? Well, I've gotten some pushback on my book title. Because of, of this junkie? new movement, yeah, junkie, okay, dirty. Yeah, so, we'll, so, so I'm here with Amy Dresner, author of <laughs> My Fair Junkie. Um, yeah, a great book title, I think. By the way, Classic. thank you, thank you. You know, uh, yeah. So, what is there like? Uh, what would you call it? Um, like the social justice equivalent of now protecting junkies from like hate speech. Is that what they're getting at? Or something? I don't really know what they're getting at. I think they're trying to break the stigma. Um, but I'm I mean, kind of proud of it. Is that weird? Uh, no, well I am too. And I think that, you know, I think it's a little bit anti 12 step to be honest. Also like, you know, because in the rooms you have to identify as an alcoholic or an addict and like, you know, you hear a lot of people be like, I was a diehard dope fiend, man. It's like, if that's what they need to say to remember where they came from, if they don't go back there, then then cool. I don't think other ex-addicts should be policing other ex-addicts and telling them what they can and cannot say about themselves. Like, saying that, like, yeah, I mean, I think that that also, like you said, erases some of our own weird pride in that darkness and the glamorization of it like i thought i was a badass when i was shooting coke in my neck like i was like i'm a badass 
right? When I'm walking through fucking airport security with like track marks from my fucking, you know, wrist all the way up to my fucking ear, I was like, yeah, bitches, judge me. I'm like, I'm fucking hard. You know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, it's it's chicken pox. I swear. (laughs) But you know, that's part of in recovery. What you have to kind of let go of is that glamorization of the, of the darkness or whatever. But it's like, I was a junkie. I own that. And for me, that's the way to get rid of the shame, not use some like polished vernacular to kind of skirt the issue. And like, so it's going to change in a, and it's, it's really, really pointless because it's, it's, it's already changed like four times. So like, it's going to change again. So getting all like up in arms about it is really dumb. You know, I just, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't think that my book, you know, my fair girl with substance use disorder would have been such <laughs> a been a, great, like, yeah. Right. Wouldn't it be, you know, and people, and a lot of people don't know what that is. You know, and um, so I've got a piece coming out in the fix where I speak very strongly about this. I'm not PC. I'm not, you know, I think the way to break shame and break stigma is to come out. Yeah. You know, and own it. Well, and I don't like, because I've had friends that are, well, more so it's happened with like acquaintances or people that know my deal but aren't quite like comfortable with me. And they'll make some Mm -hmm. joke and be like, yeah, dude, such a crackhead. And then they'll pump the brakes and be like, oh, my God, dude, like I'm so sorry. And I'm like, don't care. Yeah, don't treat us as these weird, precious beings. Like I don't like that. You know what I mean? Like my friend will be like, my my friend is doing sound in the back who's like, you know, as a hobby of rehab, a junkie, you know. It's like I just laugh about it because you have to own it. You have to own it. That's the way through the shame of it. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think that, you know, skirting around the issue, you know, and it's just like, I don't think it's going to break the stigma. I don't. I mean, like, we call black people African-American now. Has er- has racism been erased? Exactly. No. It, Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's like language is important to a point, but what's really important is that people know that, oh my God, every like, I know addicts and- Look and look at all these people who are recovering. Like I'm very much part of the recover out loud movement. I think that's important. It's like being open with your story, and which, it's like, you know, that is like I. It is pretty cool that it's gained momentum and like, you know, young. Especially with young, it was important to me because I, I started like I, my first rehab was when I was 15. So like I've um, I'm 30 now. So like I've been trying, and it was really yeah. important to me. To have, you know, just like in any other thing, if I was playing baseball when I was little, I, you know, you have your, uh, I'm very sports knowledgeable, so you see I'm, I'm searching now for, you have baseball <laughs> star, who, uh, Mark McGuire, there we go, that's one. Um, but when I was a kid, like when I would find out one of my favorite uh, musicians got sober, I'd be like, that's really badass, so like you can right. be sober and cool, it's possible, yes. so like it's yes. super important, and I'm Darryl glad that Strawberry it's Strawberry and all those guys, yeah, totally, I agree with you, I think it's important to come out in recovery, and so people know, hey, it is cool to be sober, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, I've just been getting a little pushback, you know, clean and dirty, and all the junky, and all that kind of stuff, it's like, you know, I mean, someone did call me a crazy crackhead, and it wasn't someone I knew, and it wasn't supposed to be nice, and it wasn't a joke, and I karate chopped them so <laughs> badly. But um, but so so I mean, I was really you know like obviously like it hit a nerve because I felt shame about it at the time or whatever. But it's like I just think I think owning it, owning it is the is the way to out to get out of the shame of it, not using some weird. And I don't I don't dig other addicts telling me what how i can describe myself you know what i mean right so, that, that's a very uh, like don't please me i get to describe myself however i want it's none of your business we right. have no there's no room for any like like uh you know divisions within the recovery movement we need we right. can't fight about this kind of stuff it's like it really needs to be live and let live it can't be fundamentalist about anything what treatment anything it's like hey however you want to call yourself However you get sober, awesome. You know what I mean? Which, which That's my, we're, my t- we're getting there for sure, but we're, yeah, definitely not there. No. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, my books, my book title's starting to get some, you know. Someone was, like, afraid to put it on their, their podcast. Put the, they were like, you say junkie, and we were really scared. I was like, are you kidding me? What? So, like, are these, like, normal folk? Or no, are these, like, these at- are recovery people. <laughs> And I'm just like, you got to be kidding. So are we going to go like retcon Burroughs book and just call it like substance abuser? 
Yeah, right. It's, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what the backlash is on this piece. I just, you know, it's like I get it for like legal and and, and insurance purposes. For that, I understand, but I also think I don't think it's going to break the stigma by right. calling it something else. Like it's been there's been like opium dens since what like the 1800s. Like people, you know what I mean? Right. Like. I don't know. I, I, I follow the gay movement like where it's like, let's get our own parade with boas and glitter and like rock it out and be like, woo, you know, we're ex-junkies and own the word that's been used to be sort of derogatory towards us. Do you know what I mean? I'm about yeah. that. That That's my sort of motto. So I wonder if there ever – I feel like with – uh, with junkies there's like a built-in there's such a built-in failure rate it's like do you think we ever could have well i mean i'm sure we could but like they're like parades and like junkie you know, day or you, you know, know like i mean but whatever I mean, recovery yeah i mean there is there is all that kind of stuff now and it's like you know i mean it's being being sober something to be proud of because it's hard you know we're both vaping i love it i just saw you vape Oh yeah, see I can see you can see me, but I, that's I cannot right. see that's you. Right. So that's right. Yeah, unfair. I woke up from a nap. Nope. Sorry. Unfair. Sorry. Um so anyway, uh well you were talking about teen rehab. I just read an article about Cleaner Days, this digital series that's uh I just, I just read that. Yeah. yeah. You should watch it. I think you'd really dig it and Why I think you'd really you identify. Tell tell the folks about it. I just wrote an article for the fix about um this new digital series um called Cleaner Days with a Z and it's about a teenage rehab facility um, set in Santa Cruz and it's extraordinarily realistic and they cast a lot of uh, ex addicts instead of actors, which is great because it's realistic and it's not so great because some of them, you know, ate shit during, the, you know, relapse. Well, yeah. That's, filming. that's the, that's the downside. Yeah. Uh, but there's a realism to it that's amazing, and I have massive amount of respect for Tess Sweet, the creator and director, and um, she's what? at you know at Tribeca right now, and like you know I think it's I think it shows you that you can show the real world of rehab and addicts and not be exploitive and salacious, you know what I mean, and show yeah, and I think that that's super super important, and um, yeah, it's a great the the interview with her, it's I just showcase her, she talks. And, uh, yeah, it, it launched today on the 25th. So what's, what's it on? Where, where can you watch it? Uh, I think it's on everywhere. I can look it up really quickly. Let's see. Uh, can you edit this out? Yeah. Facebook, Vimeo and cleanerdays.com. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. How long have you been sober? Uh, I had five years, January 2nd, not my, not my first rodeo. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. So what, what was kind of, what was your, your path? What is a good word for this? So like, (laughs) what was your path? What was your journey to recovery? Journey to recovery. (laughs) Um, the thing that really brought me to my knees was crystal meth in my twenties, like 24, um, that was the drug that really grabbed me. Like drinking, I was sort of like, you know, I blacked out, but it was college and it's sort of, my drinking looked like everyone else's. And it was, I was really out of control drinking. So I tried not to because, um, but crystal meth made me feel normal. You know what I mean? You know, you find the thing that makes you feel like, ah, I feel normal. I plan it. Crystal meth was the drug that did that for me. And, um, well, it takes you down really fast. I mean, there are no old tweakers because they're all dead. Right, um, right. So um, I ended up in rehab. I had a seizure in a market. I ended up in treatment. Um, and then I would get time and then I would, you know, relapse again on different stuff. I would, you know, I had seven years without program. I'm in 12 step. I say it all the time. It's one way to get sober. It's not the you only had way. Seven years, nothing? Yeah. And, and nope, just bare knuckle in that shit yeah yeah Jeez. and it wasn't yeah and i was not the happiest camper in the world you know what i mean like i was pretty I can't depressed. imagine so yeah it was a pretty small world and then i relapsed on pot 
And then I was like, oh, it's seven years I can drink. And then I started doing cocaine and I ended up back in treatment. For, like I ended up in treatment or the psych ward or jail or the emergency room within like a couple months. Like I never yeah. can go for very long. Like the way I use is so hard and yep. my system is so delicate that it's like I end up, you know, really hitting a wall very quickly. Um, then I started shooting cocaine. I learned to shoot from someone from rehab. And... Um, at that point, I had epilepsy from crystal meth. I, at five years uh, dry, I developed epilepsy, and it's all from crystal meth use. Because wow. I was smoking like a half an eight ball of crystal meth a day, every day and a half. Good lord. Like a, yeah. yeah. So now and I have. Was, yeah. Yeah, I got into. Yeah, uh, shooting it was was what took me down too. Oh, shooting, boy. Sh- shooting cocaine was the one like uh, it was the addiction that I beat before I got sober. So like I stopped. Mm-hmm. I think it's been like it's like seven years since I shot mm-hmm. cocaine because that like gnarly. You I know. Cannot so, keep up <laughs> shooting I know. Cocaine, it's like dude. I know. It's like every twenty minutes, feed the monkey because you're after that rush. I mean, it's just an it's a twenty four hour job. Yeah, it's gnarly. Awful. It's so gnarly. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah I, I was a, a chronic overdoser as well. So it usually it would always because I went to, I went to treatment eighteen times, and people always say Jesus. like, and everyone's like, why did you go so many times? And it's like, well, I wasn't one of those fucking people that could just go to a meeting and get sober off. The I know, like, I'm right? Not what going are those? To stop, I know, dude. right? Well, how did you? Oh, what was the overdose? You overdose on co- on shooting coke? No, well, um. Because I would just have a grand mal seizure, and so instead of yeah, I, I so, got but, like. <laughs> have you ever shot so much coke where you you pass out like that conundrum? No, I would have a seizure, and so then I wore a bike helmet, and so I wouldn't crack my head open. So I'd shoot coke in like a bike helmet. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Uh, makes sense at the time. Of it makes it does. sense at the time. Yes. I was like, oh my god, this is like I'm wearing protective gear, you know. I'm surprised you didn't like tweaker rig like some kind of custom custom <laughs> job. <laughs> No, I've never shot so much coke. I just passed out. I would just have a seizure. I w- yeah, mine were always either like heroin alone, heroin and benzos. Yeah. One time, it was the doctor. Uh, I went to like an addictionologist, and she prescribed me something called gabatril specifically because I wasn't supposed to be able to abuse it. And I found out that if you drank on it, you get high. <laughs> <laughs> <And> so. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then that one ended me in like a coma. That was like the worst Ooh, one. Oh. Yeah, mostly mostly heroin and, and benzos and cocaine. Yeah, once. I never never got into like the downers that much. I mean, I was in oxy briefly, but it was it never grabbed me. I just titrated off it, and I was like, eh. Yeah, some people. It does, I, I, yeah, more so. I'm I'm believing the that like there is that percentage of just like genetic piece. If you're if you do opiates, you're fucked basically. Yeah, yeah, but the, and the, and the opposite for me, crystal and coke did something. Right. Where, you know a vortex opened and i was like this is what i need i can't stop the you know the, it, the end was uh crystal and heroin speed balls that was what ooh, got me ooh, ooh. and it was yeah it's just, just nightmare i was uh, i had a crooked doctor prescribe me to adderall xanax and suboxone oh. and then i would use the crystal to kick off my suboxone and then shoot dope and it was just an oh, awful brutal, existence brutal i yeah. was insane how much time do you have now uh, let's see, September 23rd, 2014. So like working on four years. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. And then my, my wife's sobriety date is a week before mine. So how cool. That's so cool. It is. It's a pretty cool. It'll be a good story for the kids. One day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hope- I think that IV, you know, getting off IV stuff is like a whole other different ball game. Cause you get, you know, you get addicted to that whole ritual. Oh, and it's so, we had, I had to go, so we, I got hep C from the first needle I used oh, God. when I was 17, oh. so oh. I went through the interferon treatment, this was back in 2005, which was a nightmare, and then, so I got it cured, and then during my coma, it came back because my Ooh, immune system dropped. Of course. Yeah, and so I recently did the the new treatment they have, but they had to right. do like monthly blood tests and it's just such an ordeal now and they don't get it. Like, so every time I have to explain, like, I'm going to pass out, like 
I have no veins. I was an IV addict. <laughs> and I'm like, you need to bring in your best nurse and like, let's buckle up. This is going to be a, a, a no oh, deal. No. Oh, see, I ha- I still have. I'm super vascular. Like, you like a bl- like a blind person could fucking take we, my blood. It's we, so easy. I'm like, bitch, if you can't do this, like, you're in the wrong profession. You should not be a phlebotomist. Like, I have the bulgiest, biggest veins ever. In and the, even in with the that, business, I was terrible. We call you at a dartboard. But, you know, yeah, but it's like you were heroin. I was Coke. Coke doesn't make your stuff disappear. It's totally different. I never right. shot heroin. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like creepy vascular. Yeah. But, yeah, it is a totally – and it's so it's – But it's triggering. Even when I see my veins, it triggers me triggering. still. And it's years. This is like a decade later. You know what the you know biggest what? trigger was uh, when Mio for water came out? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you yeah. squirt it in a water bottle and it looks just like a blood register? Yeah, that got me for a long time. Mio. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, it is that – and I guess that's where – some of the separation does come from and like you got, you know, straight alcoholics that'll look down on needle users. And then you got, mm-hmm. you know, th- that's kind of what that thinking is what pushed me to harder drugs, to be honest, because like I wasn't very, I didn't have a strong stomach and I couldn't drink very well in high school. Yeah. So I got made yeah. fun of. So to circumvent that, I just started mm-hmm. snorting Coke and I was like, you idiots just drinking. Like I'm doing cocaine. Ooh. Right. Like, right. Totally. I mean, the whole thing I used to, when I, you know, used to do stand up, I used to do this bit and people would be like, why, you know, snorting it versus like shooting it. It's like, well, if you had to get to Uruguay, would you take a rickshaw or a rocket? Like, let's get to where the fuck we're going. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's not waste our time. Let's get to where we're going. Right. And that and Ivy was the best way to get to where you wanted to go, you know? So, um, so what finally, what finally got it for you? God, I mean, I've had years. I've had like three to five years eating it again. Like I've been a chronic relapser for 20 years. Um, well, as the opening of my book, I, I had a couple of years and I had a shoulder injury and they gave me Oxycontin and um, I was in a really bad marriage, you know, and they knew I was That's a huge addict. Fear. And they knew I was, yeah, they, I was, an, I, they knew I was an addict and um, you know, that veil that just, that, that chemical reaction hits, that biology hits. And it's did, like that veil came down and did I Did you know like, oh. that you were playing with fire? Like, I thought it was going to be okay. I you, mean, like legitimately you're like, I, I got this. No, I, I, mean, I was it. in so much agony. I was crying all day. I couldn't sleep. I mean, I was in chronic pain and it was like, there was no other option. You know, just cause you're mm. an addict doesn't mean you have to be in pain. And I really yeah. thought it would be okay. And it was not okay. I think maybe if I'd been in a different situation and been happier, who knows? You know what I mean? Like I obviously, I made a choice to, there was a biological component that where that veil went down and I didn't care and it kicked off the, it woke up the dragon. On the other hand, I also was in this marriage and I was unhappy and that was a way to, for me to kind of check out. It was both. So as you know, I wrote this book, My Fair Junkie, um, much to the dismay of SUD people, <laughs> a memoir of, of getting dirty and staying clean. And it opens with me getting in a fight with my now ex-husband. I'm high on oxy and I pull a knife on him. We get in a, it gets physical. I pull a knife and I get arrested for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. And I was like, it's the first time I've ever been arrested. And I was like, whoa. And I go to jail. It's Christmas. And I lose everything. I end up penniless in a psych ward on Medi-Cal disability and I have nothing. And I'm going through a horrible, horrible divorce. I'm having a nervous breakdown. Um, I'm trying to get sober. And I'm going through a criminal case at the same time. And it got dropped down to a misdemeanor. I ended up doing 240 hours of community labor, like sweeping the streets, me and like 40 Mexican guys, you know, like <laughs> chain gang, you know. Yeah. And, and the one white Jap, you know, who was just like, eh. But that, <laughs> like, you know, that was the thing I showed up. I was like, oh, my God. Right. And then it turns out like I had like double the time of anyone else. Everyone's there for DUIs. And I was the only where only one there for anything violent, like for one of the few people there for assault. And it was like really humbling. I was like, oh, shit, I'm a criminal now. Um, And uh, I just I had an epiphany where I was just like, my life is fucked. The way I've been living my life is fucked. My weird entitlement and my not wanting to take care of myself and my selfishness 
and being abusive to other people and the whole, my shortcut, you know, I was taking shortcuts my whole life with everything. And all of a sudden there were no shortcuts and everyone was over my shit. And, uh, I just, I had this epiphany and I was just like, wait a second, I need to change everything. And I did. And I was in sober living for two and a half years and I've been sober ever since. Um, and yeah, the community labor was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, that's not everyone's, you know, thing, but it's like, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. What was, so what's your family like? Uh, I'm an only child. My dad's a, a screenwriter, a retired screenwriter in Oregon. My mom is a retired designer, uh, in living in Albuquerque. They've been split since I was two. Oh, wow. Oh, so, um, they would sort of, you know, come together during sort of, you know, crisis moments like, oh, she slit her wrist again, or, oh, she had a seizure again, or, oh, she overdosed again. And like, you know, I've been in treatment, I think, wait, maybe seven times, not even close to you. But, uh, you know, I've been in, I've been 5150 in the psych ward four times and that kind of stuff. Like it never ends well. It just, it always no. ends. Like I, you know, it's like they gave me Ativan for a seizure and I went into like a two week blackout and I guess I was in meetings kicking over chairs and being like, I'm a princess motherfuckers. And like, no. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember any of it. And I checked myself into the psych ward thinking it was a spa. My dad was like, you, you, I kept calling him. <laughs> I kept calling him like, all the time, and I was like, I want to get loaded and die. I want to get loaded and die. Because it always makes me want to kill myself. Like, getting when you yeah. get to the end, you're always suicidal. And he's like, you need to go somewhere and cool out. And I was like, do you mean like a spa? And he oh, was like, God. I know, right? And he was like, kind of. Sure, like, yeah. So, yeah, I have so... There fucked- is water there, yeah. I, I was so fucked up. I checked myself into what is the now defunct Thalian Psychiatric Ward at Cedars-Sinai. And uh, I was like, well, they told me it was a spa. That's why I brought my bathing suit. They were like, oh, my God, you're insane. You know what I mean? Like, um, that was one of four times that I've been 5150. That's the worst. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's a really, you know, if you're depressed, the psych ward is like the most depressing place. It is. So we, (laughs) one of the times, uh. Yeah, it was like the, I think it was the first time I think in in uh, Louisiana it's called a, a PEC like Protective Custody Act or whatever. Okay. In Florida it was the Baker Act, but it's all the same difference. Right. But like, so I like woke up and at the foot of my bed there was just some like seventy some odd year old man butt naked just standing in Whoa. front of my bed just staring at me and I was oh, like, God. what? level of hell am i at and so yeah. we got it was just one this one was one hallway oh god and uh that was it you know with one little tiny group room and they let us watch movies one time a week <laughs> and they voted on it and these i was detoxing i was depressed and i was anxious yeah. and these fucking people voted on hostile if you've ever seen the film i haven't seen it uh-uh but, well it's a it's one of those like torture porn movies oh, like no! saw and so oh, i'm just like get me out of here like <laughs> why oh it's awful <laughs> awful 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 and the whole time i was just plotting on how i was gonna commit my friend that committed me when i got out i was like i'm just gonna get out i'm gonna tell him he's gonna kill himself and fuck uh. that guy Oh God! I ended up having him on the show actually, and he he like told me he's he, he just got married, and he's like, I half expected you to like show up at my wedding and finally be like, that's him, officer. And he's been <laughs> he's been afraid of me getting back at him ever since. My friend that fifty called the cops was just like, I don't care if you hate me forever. Like I'm yeah. saving your life. You know, yeah. I'd slip my wrists. Which it oh, did, yeah. That's every yeah, time. Yeah, that was like it, it that was like one of my favorite fucking moves when I was loaded was to like slip my wrist. You know, was it, was it often when you were on like benzos? No, it was always on booze. That was, I wasn't benzos really benzos made me do that. For really, some I wasn't really a benzo person, but you know, when I I was so so fucked up when I went to treatment this last time. Um, that they put me on Valium for the first two months because I was so hysterical and so nuts. And um, that's the worst detox I've ever had. You want to – the worst detox? Oh, my God. It took months and it was 
like they did the slowest titration and I was just shaking and anxious and felt like I was falling on the inside. It was, it was so much worse than crystal or Coke where you can just like, you know, you sleep it off for a couple Crystal's days. Crystal is probably the best detox there is. Right? You, you just, just sleep. sleep and you, yeah, and it's and over. Eat, and, yeah, right, it's and awesome. it's over. It's over, you know? So it's like, it was so, so brutal. So, um, yeah, I, um, I wrote the book because I just wanted to help people. You know what I mean? I wanted to, you know, the book covers my community labor. It covers, it has flashbacks to my days as a tweaker in San Francisco it has um, a lot of different flashbacks, a lot of stuff about the community labor and um, just kind of my transformation and also sex addiction, which is something that yeah, I picked yes. up during this last sobriety. No longer active in that, thank God. But um, I just needed – to me, they're all sort of connected, I really believe. Like yeah, I just – looking for, I'm looking for dopamine. I'm looking well, to get out. Especially uh, – uh, I'm sorry. I keep – cutting off uh especially with with or at least for me with meth too they're like that definitely created like a sexual addiction for oh see yeah but that's that didn't work i i wasn't like that i was like one of the i was a crafty tweaker yeah i would like (laughs) yeah i would like refinish furniture and collage and stuff like that i know sweet sweet. (laughs) i did so i did do that there's a really funny picture where i did get into uh, furniture building. My thing was I moved into like clothing augmentation where I just thought I was making my clothes better. But the the first my first foray into furniture building and my poor mother uh, I texted her. I was so proud of this like side table I bought, and I texted her a picture of it. And I looked at it, re- and like it was just me. Oh, all, and God. she, she, you know, I thought that she thought I was sober and all that. Uh-huh. Shit. She knew I was up, but I looked at the picture, and it's like the shittiest Charlie Brown <laughs> looking like. The most janky piece of wooden crap you've ever seen in your life. And I was, like, so proud. I was like, I could really start a business with this. Like, people would buy this. <laughs> oh, I would, like, dumpster dive, you know? Yes, we stuff. would rob. Yeah. And then, like, refinish it. So I'm sure my neighbors were loving it with, like, me, like, like with a power sander at four in yes. the morning with, like, nine-inch nails blasting and me just hitting the pipe. It was like, That's oh, so God. Funny. We, I, we, somehow I came into the possession of, a, of like, a bench grinder. And, <laughs> and so I, I just, like, called all my friends that had knives, and I was like, come over, and everybody sharpen your shit. And so at four in the morning, it was like an industrial grinder, and it's just, like, sparks everywhere. And, <laughs> the insanity of it is just so ridiculous i know i mean but you've got to laugh at it that's the because it's i mean it's funny i mean it's horrible to us it's funny to us but it's not funny to normies like i had a normie boyfriend and he was horrified by my stories horrified doesn't that make you feel bad sometimes have you ever done that like cry he was just like that's so not funny that's so horrible it's so sad and it's like that's why you just other addicts are like dying laughing and like normal people are like that's so horrific and it's like and I I wonder what, I mean I get me and me and my other my one of my old running buddies that got sober together we always talk about that like I guess it's just that like once you've been to that kind of hell you just kind of realize that everything else is just kind of small potatoes totally just like, absolutely absolutely I don't know and yeah just the sheer ridiculousness yeah, of, yeah. of the stuff like it's just you can't make it up like, i know you, i know you can't make it up i know so, so. had you written before because like yeah, it's a really writing... well-written book oh thank you um yeah i had been writing for the fix the addiction recovery magazine the fix um for six years so this okay. is sort of a natural progression to write a book you know people are like well, we want a book more 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 because you know, the stuff I wrote for them was very, you know, um, autobiographical, confessional. I swore a lot. I didn't hold back. It was really graphic. It was on PC. It was funny, you know, and so much recovery writing is not those things. You know, it's, it's very like, it can be a little bit preachy or straight or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's like you have to laugh at it. You have to have perspective and laugh at it and own it. And just like that's what makes the shame go away. And so yes. I'm really I'm really proud of the book because I've gotten really wonderful messages from people like, God, thank you for keeping it real. Like, yeah. thank you for telling the real story and being honest and talking about, you know, a black dildo up your ass and like just really <laughs> being straight about the whole thing. Like, 
that stuff was hard to write. Like, I didn't want the whole world to read that stuff. Like, especially the sex addiction stuff. I was like, ooh, you know, like, who's ever going to marry me after this book? But like, you know, I wrote it because I wanted other people to feel less alone and to go, God, I'm not the only one who blah, blah, blah. And, um, and they just said, yeah, they were like, thank you for making me feel less broken. Like, thank you for making me laugh at the darkness. And I, I just, I, I, I dropped so much shame reading your book. And they're like, you're really, really brave. I'm like, am I brave or am I stupid? I don't know. Time will tell. Somewhere in the middle. middle. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's part of the reason we started doing this podcast too, is it's, it's super, uh. So like our, my, my co-host used a pseudonym for the longest time because he was still in like the professional world. Uh, uh, interesting. But yeah, but it's but yeah, the same thing. And like I'd, I've been wanting to like write the old memoir, but like I don't know if you know this, but uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. It's the hardest thing I ever did. It's, you know, super yeah. difficult. Yeah. Writing a book is very, very hard. It's a real marathon. It's very different from essay writing. Also getting an agent, getting published. That's, I mean, I feel very lucky that all that happened because that's also like winning the lottery these days, especially if you're not famous. If you're famous, you know, they'll it's publish. You, you can be like, yeah. here's my stories of how I like pillows, you know, and they'll right. be like, it's we like, love oh it, God. you know, <laughs> you know, but it's like, yeah. So, um, but you were talking about the junkie thing. I wanted to go back. You sparked something. You know, what I find interesting and a little bit dangerous in 12 step, although I am in 12 step, I'm in a, it's like that there is a one upmanship, like at least in LA, like the gnarlier your story is, like the cooler you are, you know? So it's like that still exists. And the more I still recovery, you know? Yeah. I mean, I will be the first to admit I still struggle with that. And, like, that's been my biggest – well, one of my biggest, uh, like, therapeutic challenges working with with clients is not getting drawn into that with them. What, the glamorization of all that stuff? Yeah, and then just, you know, the junkie pride and the, like, oh, you smoked that much dope? Like, well, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess it's just because your identity is so wrapped up in it. It's almost like someone saying, like, you know, you ain't shit. And it's like, wait a minute. Like I've earned this. I've actually, cause I made sure I was one of those. It, it's, it's so funny to talk about. Cause now it does sound ridiculous, but I wasn't going to lie. Like if I was going to tell a story about shooting three grams, like I better have shot like 3.0 <laughs> grams. Like I wasn't like, I actually did the shit. So I felt like that made me better. Yeah. I think it's a flipping of shame, though. I think that because being an IV drug user is so looked down upon and because there is shame and it's so stigmatized, you know what I mean, that there is a flipping of it to just sort of save face. So it's like if you're proud of it and you own it, Mm. it's like, you know what I mean? I I think it's a defensive mechanism to a certain extent. To, you know, well, it, you know, it's like, I, I'm a badass so that people aren't like, you're an, you, wow, instead of like, you're a really sick person or you're really, you know, it's like, that's true. I think I it's a defensive pity. thing. I think it's a defensive thing. And, and I'm guilty of that as well. I really tried hard to not glamorize drug use in the book because, I mean, it really fucked my life up, you know, yeah. for a long time. And it cost my parents a lot of money and I was in a lot of different treatments and I fucked up my health. I have full blown epilepsy now. And, um, you know, well, and that's a that's a tricky line too because like it's I guess it's just as long as you stick to the facts because it's entertaining. It's you know it offers of that. Of course, people love the car that crash. Look. People yeah, love exactly. the car crash. Exactly. Love it. You know what I mean? It's like that's why you know intervention. People watch intervention, and that's why people watch you know sober house, and that's why people watch cops and all that. They people love the car crash, but. I think that it's important to put in the hope, which is like, look how far low, how far down I went and look how I turned this shit around. And it's like, you know, and I turned my life around in my 40s. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you think it's too late, it's never fucking too late. If you're alive, you can turn it around. You can get it, you know? And no matter right. how many times you've relapsed, you can still fucking still get it. That's, and that's, that's kind of how I, well, I had, com- the last time I would completely, you know, I'd use that excuse like I'm, uh, one that you know the book talks about of constitutionally course. incapable. That's yep. me. Like I yep. just can't. Well, and yep. I, it wasn't just platitudes. Like I straight up, I was like, "Fuck, maybe I really can't." I don't. I get it. Think I can get it, and it yeah. was just when I finally, you know, surrendered. 
yeah. actually and just no, started like for sure i mean that was there was a point too where i was just kind of like oh maybe i'm gonna die a drug addict like maybe i'm just never gonna be able you know because not i mean it's not the majority that that get clean you no. know in general it's the minority and it's hard and it's like we don't know what creates that click for some people why some people get it and some people don't you know and, um, you know, there was times when I would relapse after, you know, having been in program for a long time and wow, you got to get really loaded to override all that stuff that, you know, yeah, you awful. know, better, you know, better. And it's like, if you're also, if you're thinking, well, it's not going to work for me, then you dive in even harder. You're just like, well, fuck it then. You know, like when I would relapse out of treatment, I was just like, I'm not going to get it. So fuck it. Let's go full hog, you know, yeah. super, super dangerous for us, you yeah. know? Yeah, it totally, totally is. And I, um, damn it, I, I was just going to say something to you, reminded me. Um, nope, totally lost. It. So, <laughs> drugs, what are you going to do? I get it, I get it. Um, yeah, that, uh, I, you know, in articles and on, you know, when I speak and in podcasts, is like, not to buy into the hierarchy of the program and uh, like be embarrassed that you've relapsed and that you're a retread and like, you know, you can't, you know, fuck all that. You know what I mean? Like we're all on our own journey and it's like some of us come in with like trauma and PTSD and mental illness and it's like, you know, addiction. I think there's really a spectrum. I mean, there's some people that, you know, it's, they have it definitely much is. worse than, than other people and it's like, so, you know, to, to, you know, I, I really believe it's like, fuck being queen of the drunks. Like you do your own thing and you just keep coming back. I mean, I know people who took, took them six years to get 30 days and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah. you know, it needs to be inclusive. You need to not shame the person and be like, cool, you're still alive. Fucking start again. You know what I mean? Did you learn something? Keep trying. It's like, you know, you can, so I don't, I don't like that hierarchy I mean, I think time is important, but I don't like that hierarchy that rises up where people are too embarrassed to come back if they relapse. Well, and, and usually, and it's all, you know, it, with me, it was always all on me. I'm thinking, you know, you always think, oh, everyone, what are they going to say when I come back? And everyone's going to, you right. know, and never is it like that. It's always, I'm so glad you're back. Like, right. we've been waiting for you. Like, awesome. Let's just get back on the horse. But it's, you yeah, and I wonder if I I do often wonder if like the treatment industry kind of fostered that counting the days thing and sober time and pass fail and you know I don't know, but it's definitely was instilled in me, and that's like every time. And with me, I, I and I don't know about you, but I would live in sober living houses. So if I relapse, and so I was financially dependent on my parents, I was living in sober yeah. living. If I relapse, that means if I get honest, I lose all of that. So I have to hide it. You know what I mean? There was no of course, way. Of course. Back then, the hard and fast rule was like you use your out. You know, luckily, finally, people. Now, yeah. People. Are I don't know if that's good. I, yeah, is that good or bad? I don't know. It's I don't, like exactly. I think you know what I mean. Like I, I mean, what really finally got me clean was like there was nothing left. I lost everything. My parents were over my shit. There was no more money. You know, no yeah, one was going to bail me out. And it was like, if I got kicked out of that sober living, I was fucked. And it was like, you know, so I, mm, not that you, you get out, not that you get clean because of outside influences ever. Obviously that doesn't work for long term. But I mean, what I see with my sponsees and these sober livings who are like, you know, so happy about insurance money is they'll keep taking you back and they won't kick you out if you use. So what are the real consequences? I mean, that's, hmm. I got sober when I had to face the real consequences of my actions fully, which I'd been dodging my whole life. We don't like consequences. We don't like responsibility. You know what I mean? I'd been dodging that my whole life and I'd been very successful at getting other people to, you know, clean yeah. up my mess, yeah. clean up my mess. And I had excuses and oh, don't, you know, I'm mentally ill and like, you know, I have the genetics and da, da, da. So I don't know. I don't know that I'm not saying tough love because my parents always loved me. There was one time when my dad didn't want to talk to me for a while. He was just like, God, I'm so fucking over it. I'm over you at the bottom oh, of the well. Dude, like, exhausting. I'm just like, yeah, he's just like, you've drained me emotionally and financially for years. Like, I just can't. Like, call me when you have good news. Don't call me, you know, where my mom's sober alcoholic and she never failed. But they never, like, were like, fuck you. Don't talk to us. We're not sending you a dime. Like, 
you know, they never gave up on me. And there was times when I had given up on myself, like we just talked about, where I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to ever get this because I've been relapsing for so long. And they believed that I could get it. They're like, yeah, mine too. And, yeah and I believed that they believed. And that was enough. So yeah. Sometimes you need someone to believe in you. But I think that, you know, there has to be consequences, man. You could just keep using and popping around from sober living to sober living or rehab to rehab. That's, it's like, mm, you're telling my story is what is you know? what you're doing. That's that's exactly what happened for, you know, in a, this. this and last... it didn't work. Did it work? No, no, it didn't. And, it, yeah. you know, and like, you know, then my parents realized that. So that did that did signal the end when that stopped. But that still right. was it's still. But it was, you know, then, you know, like they say, the more like friendly you are attractive charisma charis- charismatic charismatic like the longer you can stay out there because you can always move to a new city find a new group of people that doesn't know your shit and you, that'll at least last right. like a month maybe right pull a geographic yeah right yeah. so what was your what was your bottom would you say what got you sober so it, it finally it was uh it wasn't really a bottom like i had so after going through all those well, for yeah. So after going all those, you know, crazy car crashes and overdoses, and yeah, yeah, all the crazy shit. Finally, it was just me and my, you know, my girlfriend at the time, um, were just hopelessly back on shooting heroin. Um, right. Neither of our families were talking to us. Yeah, I had a ten-year deferred sentence over my head. I had a car. Ooh title loan on my car um i had just my the very last friend i had i tried to cash i stole he let me go to his house i stole a check from him i tried to cash it this it was so this was i'll tell that story real quick just because it's so horrific it was i knew what i was doing but in my head i was like i'll pay him back i'll pay him back and I went to go try to cash the check. The teller said, hold on a second. And oh, I, was like, I was like, fuck, she's going to call. And she called him and she just came back and she says, yeah, he said uh, you should call him. And I was oh, like, oh, God. And I just looked at my You're phone. You're lucky to get arrested. Well, dude, I wish I would have. Like the, the text just said, come to my house right now. I think you have something that's mine. And I went oh. to his house and this is like. He's done. He bailed me. He like put up his house to get me out of jail one time. Oh, that kind of friend. And he looked at me oh. and he was like, "I wish I could beat the shit out of you right now, but I'm just so hurt." And he was crying oh, and he was just oh. like, "Don't come around anymore." And I was just oh, like, "What God. have I done?" And um, so we went back to our little homeless pad, and so all we were doing was just going to the interstate and flying a sign, getting money to go steal dvds to sell them to buy more dope to go fly more signs and then that's what my life was and i was just Uh, like this is fucking awful um and so i had just gotten obamacare back and i was like well i'll give treatment (laughs) ironically so this is how crystal i guess god used crystal meth to completely change my life i haven't told this story but i called a treatment center in another city and they're like yeah we'll get you in um and my wife always goes first because I can last a little bit longer. We had gone to treatment <laughs> together like three times. And she's like, I'm going to detox. I was like, I'll meet you there, but I have a little bit left. And as soon as she left, I had like a quarter gram of meth left. And so I snorted it. And all of a sudden, I was like, I started tweaking out on rehabs, searching. Right? Oh, God, so, right? And I, I, had, I, I had it paid for, planned. I was going to this rehab. I snorted the meth. And within two hours... I completely switched the rehabs I wanted to go to, oh my God. but it turned out to be the one that got me sober. So it's kind of funny how that worked <laughs> and like because of meth. And I was like, I'll be there on Tuesday. And this was like a Sunday. And then I ended up calling him the next day and I was like, okay, I got to come right now. Didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't make it. Got to go. <sighs> um, so, I mean, every, I showed up in my car that had a lean on it with everything i owned in it and i was like i don't think y'all are gonna get me sober but like we can try and there you go how that started yeah amazing amazing yeah sometimes it's not the really really gnarly gnarly bottom like you know right Right. after i got arrested i didn't stop drinking and then i was drinking over the fact that i had been arrested and i was getting a divorce and then i'd gotten thrown out of you know what i mean then i couldn't yeah, it's like I couldn't stop because I felt so sorry for myself because I'd fucked my life up with drugs and alcohol. So then I kept 
you know, drinking and using over my fuck-ups, which is what we do. Right. Instead of going, oh, shit, you know, like, I need to stop. This is causing problems. We're like, poor me. I need to drink to drown out and use to drown out my bad, the, the consequences of my bad decisions. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, it took a while. I mean, I went to treatment. I, go in, I relapsed in treatment. I went to a sober living. I relapsed at that sober living. Then I went back to treatment, detox for a week, and then I went to that sober living, and I've been sober ever since. But it's like, and this sobriety feels different. And not yes. because I wrote a book or anything like that, but it's like because I'm self-sufficient, because I really had a shift, because I got humbled, I got a work ethic. You know, I, right. um, you know, I went through, I've been through some really heavy stuff in the last year. I, got, I went through a really gnarly breakup. And like, of course, that's always taken me out in the past. I mean, me that, too. and I was like, uh, the first thought was like, I got to use or I got to kill myself. It was so, and I just felt my feelings like normal people Oof, do. I was so just like, hard. cried but and cried and cried and cried, lost like 15 pounds that I can't afford to lose, smoked a pack <laughs> of Marlboro Blacks a day, you know, and eventually it passed. And now my mom's in an assisted living and she's like mm, losing wow. memory. And I'm like her power of attorney. Like this year's wow. been gnarly. And it's like, and I stayed sober through it all. And I'm like, okay, I can stay sober through anything. Yeah. That's what you, you need to be able to stay. You need yeah. to stay sober through something really fucking painful and gnarly and realize that you might want to pick up. You don't have to pick up. You can feel the feelings. They're not going to kill you. And then you go, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Exactly. I'd never given myself that experience before. And luckily, I think like my my delusion is pretty well smashed because my when I have cravings these days, they'll usually go in this cycle. Like, oh, uh, I want to use. Okay, you'll get fired. You'll lose your job. You'll lose your wife. Then you want to kill yourself. Okay, well then let's just kill yourself. And so my craving <laughs> will turn into like, I guess I got to kill myself. Like, ah, my bill is late. Guess I got to kill myself. And so you know. It doesn't that, go well, that, I feel that too. I mean, I think that that's very common because you know that drugs and alcohol aren't the answer anymore. Right. So it's, it's, and it's now, just like, now, now, now suicide is like the go-to, but it's, it's just a fleeting thought, and then you're like, okay. It's just a fleeting yeah, thought. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me too. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, fifty-one, fifty, me, please. It is just a thought. <laughs> I'm calling right now. Right. I'm calling right now. No, well, I that, have the same thing. I have the same thing. Yeah. That's but old... instead, I just take a nap now. I just yeah, go, oh. naps are great. Right? I just like, naps oh, okay, I'm crazy right now, and I'm just going to lay down and take a nap. Fuck well, it. And I recently, so the, I had, like, I was properly medicated this time, which I feel like on antidepressants, which I feel yes. like played a big role. But yes. I just finally decided that I wanted to see what life's like without them because I've been on the, the, my whole sobriety. Uh, I'm on, like, day 27, so. You feel Okay. Yeah, yeah, I do. Every day is better. Um, yeah, obviously it. It. I'm still, you know, emotionally really ebby and flowy. Like it comes yeah, and goes. Time. It's gonna take time. Yeah. Do you have experience with that? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I've been on Prozac since I was. Uh, I've been on every psych med. I mean, I've been, yeah, you know, I've yeah. been diagnosed with all kinds of shit. And so I've been on, you know, fucking every kind of, you know, antipsychotic, you know, mood stabilizers you know, every antidepressant. I mean, I've been on everything. And, um, you know, when you do the work, a lot of that crazy that looks like mental illness falls away and then you start to get more sane. But I did try and get off Prozac, um, during two sobrieties and, um, I cried constantly every day. It's crazy. I was like, you know what? you know, there's a lot of mental illness in my family. And I do believe there are people that have genetic depression. And I was just Absolutely. like, you know, and I just, there's a, people have been, you know, in my, in asylums who've killed themselves, electroshock right. therapy. Like it's a, like, it's rife in my family, mental illness and addiction. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take my medicine. It's like, what? I take 40 milligrams of Prozac a day. And I, you know, and it's still, it doesn't make you happy. It makes you, if you're lucky, undepressed. <laughs> you know what I mean, that's it. Yeah, that's it. exactly. You know and what that's I mean? Where... I'm not like, woohoo! Because I was doing drugs on top of like four psych meds. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I still have, I still get depressed. I still have down days. And it's like, it doesn't fix it. It just puts a little bit of a net so that I don't drop all the way through to the floor and like go, hey, a box cutter looks good, you know? Right. That's so funny. Like, and like oh, yes, totally you know, we'll, relate. Will the it... shower spigot hold my weight? Hold on a second. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, 
But, um, you know, yes, a lot yeah. of it is also my thinking. But there's also a genetic component, and I honor that. You know what I mean? Right. I've had this since I was 15. I had a nervous breakdown at 19. I had another one at 23. I had another one in my 30s. I had another one in my 40s. It's like, okay. I know. did too. My, my like, anxiety manifest. It's kind of really what kicked off my using, but it manifested in, like, I would blink oddly and, like, <laughs> sniff out of my, like, a tick, kind of like a Tourette's tick. Interesting. Yeah. Like, they thought I had Tourette's, like, but it, that wasn't it. But it was just straight anxiety. And, like, so drugs. Wow. That was when I was, like... 13 12 and so drugs was the first thing that was like okay like i can right. you know it turns that off so yeah i very well there might be something there this was like me and my doctor i was like i gotta i gotta give it a try yeah so, you'll know so we'll see. So far, you'll so know, good. You'll yeah, know. Exactly. if you drop exactly. through the floor and you're like no fucking way like get back on it there's no shame yeah. i mean you're you know i don't like that you know it's like you don't do the 12 steps for fucking diabetes. Like, AA is for no. your alcoholism. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you have mental illness, you take that shit to a doctor. Yeah. Like, if you're bipolar, you stay on your meds. Like, you don't have a fucking chance getting sober if you're fucking crazy and, like, want to kill yourself all the time. Like, you've that, got, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm I was down, at. It's yeah, like... yeah. I'm down with any tools that help in the beginning. And it's like, and if you have other, I mean, most addicts have our dual diagnosis. You know that. Yes. <laughs> I would almost say all like I've I really agree. I don't know if I've met right? one that doesn't didn't have some something totally and I think that that's a part of us self it's partly self-medication but it's also whatever weird genetic thing that we have where we don't nothing says okay that's enough stop right you know we don't have that break you know we're you know we, we have low dopamine and so it's not like hey you're good you know we're just like oh that fucking that yeah. opens up you know <laughs> uh yeah. Well, congratulations. Your story's pretty gnarly. Thank you. Yours too. Yeah, I could I could talk to you for a long time. I feel like I've made a friend. So Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely thank you for coming on. And um so where can people find your book? They can find my book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um I've got a couple I've got a website, amydresner.com where I'm doing uh where you, you'll know about my readings and you can see pictures from me on the chain gang and like all stuff like that, <laughs> like pictures of my art from, from rehab and all kinds of stuff. It was all like penises and knives. I was like really <laughs> so fucked up dark. Uh. Um, and then, uh, I'm on Twitter, Amy Dresner. I'm on Instagram, Amy Dresner. I know there's too many pictures of my cat, Colonel Puff Puff. I've heard it. I know. Okay. More pictures of me in the book. Okay, fine. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook official page and, um, what's really exciting and I'm really excited. I'm going to be speaking at she recovers, which is a uh, 600 women, uh, event, a three day event at the, uh, Beverly Hilton in September with, oh, wow. uh, with, Cheryl Str- with Cheryl Strait and Sherry Gabba and a bunch of other sober big shots. And they, I guess, want someone who swears and is obnoxious to go and talk about, you know, sobriety and I'll be signing books there and that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, That's the awesome. book's a great read, whether you're in addiction or not, and it's funny. It, also. it really is. It really is. It's very good. It's very engaging. Like, I, yeah, I ordered it today after I read the free chapters online. <laughs> <laughs> and I did the audiobook. I narrated the audiobook so you can hear my manly voice and my bad impressions, and that's cool, too, you know, so it's like, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, it really seems to be helping people, and that's that's the fucking coolest part is to take 20 years of struggle and pain and demoralization and make it into a tool that makes people have hope. Like, ah, damn. Like, you know what I mean? From, from, you know, a warning to an example, to an inspiration. It's weird. You know, it's, Mm, I like that. Never, never thought that would be me really just thought I was just an epic fuck up and that was going to be me forever. And then I just turned it all around. And I think that that's my, my message is that anyone can turn it all around ever at any point no matter how old you are and no matter how many times you've fallen down you know thank you so much of course man thanks for having me